Uh, sorry, Revelation 12. We're going to read the whole chapter, and it's on. Uh, it's page one two four one. A great sign appeared in heaven: a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child as the moment it, he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule over all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient snake called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now has come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore, rejoice, you heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and to the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of for a time, times and half a time, out of the snake's reach. Then, from his mouth, the snake spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sue. Uh, good evening, everyone. Good evening. Well... Welcome. I'll just move a bit closer. Um, well, what do you make of that then? It's good, uh, good reading, isn't it? Um, 17 might have been equally as good, uh, chapter 17. 
Um, I don't know about you, but I really like um, epic fantasy um, movies. Like um, I like the kind of Star Wars trilogy. I like the um, Lord of the Rings. I'm really enjoying the new series of The Rings of Power. Whether you like it or not, I, I like it. Um, I get totally engrossed in it, and I don't want them to end, usually. I, I, I just want them to go on. I love the big battles between good and evil. I want... Uh, to be Elrond, I want to be uh, Aragon, I want to be um, uh, Han Solo, uh, all those kind of characters I know I'm never going to be, but sometimes I just don't want to snap out of the adventure. I don't want to come out of it and go back into being a very ordinary London vicar. Um, I, I don't know whether you've ever had that experience. Um, I'm surely not the only one. Revelation is, uh, is an epic adventure actually, um, even bigger than Middle Earth. And this is the adventure that actually we're all involved in um, because it is the reality for Christians. Uh, it's a cosmic battle. There's a, there's a big battle going on between good and evil, not just for, for a period of history, but throughout all of history. And there's something in this um, revelation that gives it a kind of cinematic quality to it, doesn't it, when you're reading through Revelation. Um, It's speaking to us in pictures, some of them quite graphic, and it's deliberately trying to enthrall our hearts and inspire us and um, to really transfix us and to encourage us to keep going and and to not give up, um, to keep us awake through all the action. In a way, John doesn't want us to snap out of it. He wants to keep us in there. He wants us to see reality for what it really is with this battle and everything that is going on and to inform our lives so that we can live better for Jesus, that we can be transformed by his spirit. This is about inspiring us and convincing us and encouraging us not to give up, but to trust in God and to keep trusting in him. It's to inflame our passions uh, in the Lord Jesus to see how good he is and and the victory that he has for us so that we are ready for the battle that we face here. Let's pray, shall we? I feel breathless already. Father God, Father God, thank you for this epic adventure that you've called us to be part of. Father, will you help us by your spirit now to see that more clearly? Um, that we may be ready and transformed by you to understand what is happening to us so that we may be ready to make our stand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In this chapter, uh, we meet three characters in this epic. Um, Who are they? Let's start with the easiest, okay? The first I'm going to, here's the first one. The first one is quoted in verse 5. It's in verse 5. You see, there's a son, there's a child. That's really easy. It's, at, it's, meant, it's Jesus Christ, okay? We know that because Psalm 2 is quoted here, and that is used many, many times as a fulfillment prophecy of Jesus. That's the easy one, okay? The child is Jesus Christ. Then there's the woman. This isn't as easy as it first appears, because you think, well, okay, surely that must be Mary, because the woman gives birth um, to the child. But actually, it doesn't fit. And uh, verse 5 says, after her child is snatched up to God, speaking of Jesus Christ, 
of his ascension. It says in verse 6, it tells us that she fled into the wilderness for 1,260 days. And that is the period of the church, okay? And we'll come back to that in a moment. And we saw that last week. So I take this, uh, and many do, as this woman as the church, the people of God in the Old Testament. Um, Because if you look at verse 1, the woman there is uh, um, reminding us of Joseph's dream, okay, with the 12 stars. Do you remember that? The 12 uh, tribes of Jacob from whom the anointed king is going to come, okay? So the woman is the church, and then there's the dragon, okay? And who is the dragon? Well, verse 3 tells us about him quite vividly, doesn't it? Seven heads, seven crowns, ten horns, to give us the kind of picture of his authority and his power. Um, And who is he? Well, verse 9 tells us that it's the devil, okay? So that's a little bit more straightforward. The Bible presents us with the idea, the reality of evil and of a devil. Now, of course, in a secular modern world, it could be easy to dismiss that, but we mustn't dismiss it. Some people view good and evil in a kind of dualism, that they're kind of equally weighted, a sort of yin and a yang kind of thing, and sometimes good works out and sometimes evil um, works out, and they're sort of twinned together. But that's not actually the Bible's view at all. Evil is there at the very beginning of Genesis. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, the devil appears as a snake in the Garden of Eden. Where does he come from? Where does evil come from? And you're thinking, we haven't got, we'll be here all night if we go down this uh, rabbit hole. But the the thing I want us to, to focus on is that there are clues in the Bible of where the devil came from. It talks about there being a fallen angel who rebelled against God, who wanted to be God. And so that's the three characters in this epic adventure scene that we're getting here, engaged in a battle. And not only do we see these three characters, we then see three um, different scenes that give us kind of three different perspectives on reality. We've often seen this three different perspectives on reality, and you think, oh, look at this diagram, And if this diagram, uh, if you don't like diagrams, just ignore it. Look at your Bible. Please do have your Bibles open at at chapter 12. We'll try and make some sense of this. And I'm going to fill in some blanks, okay? Because you can see there's some bits missing. There's just like some arrows and some bubbles. And, of course, remember Jesus. (laughs) So there's these three characters, and now there are three scenes. And these three scenes give us... Um, a view of reality. And the first is the historical scene. There's a historical scene here. Um, I don't know about you, but sometimes watching historical movies, you know, sort of those with a great big kind of history to them can be hard work, can't they? You know, you have to work hard to stay. And sometimes they have multiple names for the same person, and you're like, you get completely lost, don't you, sometimes? But I think, you know, the, the point is you have to often keep sticking with a history, don't you, in order to, to, to understand what's going on. And it's actually really important for us. It really, really challenges us in order to make sense of the story and, and sense of what's going on. It's the same here um, 
in Revelation. Now, John sums up the historical perspective in just six verses. It's a very visual picture. We see the woman crying in pain, about to give birth. And what do you see in verse 4? You see Satan standing over her. Do you notice that? Do you see that in, in, in verse 4? Standing in front of her so that it might devour her child the moment the child is born. It's as if Satan is ready to pounce, isn't it? And that has always been his posture. Satan always is there wanting to pounce. It was there at the very beginning with Adam and Eve, ready to pounce, and he pounces and he tempts them away from God. Yet even at that moment of most terrible rebellion and and destruction, God comes as well with his good news. Even at that point, you can look back in Genesis 3.15, and it tells us about, it speaks of the offspring of a woman who will crush crush the head of Satan. Who is the serpent crusher? It is the one born of a woman. And as we read on, it becomes clear that this is to come from Abraham's descendants. And Satan knows this and does everything he can through history of the people of God of Israel to try and destroy them. That is what he does, isn't he? Pulling them away. He almost achieves it, but there's a tiny remnant that keeps faithful, isn't there, in Judah, from which the child is born. And even at that point, when the child is born, the devil is crouching, isn't he, ready to pounce on Jesus. It seems like right on cue, doesn't it? (laughs) Because what happens is, isn't it, right when Jesus is born, Herod, what does he do? He tries to get rid of all all the children who are all the boys under two, doesn't he? And so he has to flee to, um, to Egypt. In, and then uh, we also know, don't we, in his earthly ministry, um, the devil is, it tries, to attempt, te- att- tries to tempt Jesus, doesn't he? And, of course, he's ready to pounce and he fails. He incites um, the religious leaders and the people And they shout, crucify him, crucify him. He's ready to pounce. And he dies on a cross. And it looks like Satan has won, doesn't it? Yet verse 5b, here in chapter 12, 5b, have a look at it, the end of 5, and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. And it speaks of the resurrection, it speaks of the ascension of Jesus Christ. It's pictures, okay? And now the woman is a symbol, becomes actually a symbol of the church fleeing into the wilderness. And all that parallels um, it, that they're kind of on the way to the promised land. Because now the woman is going as the church on the way to, to the promised land. They have been redeemed, um, they flight in Egypt. It's all, it's all images taken from there, from the slavery by the blood of a lamb on the journey to a new creation. That's our reality now as the church. We are that woman in the wilderness. Yes, it's hard, isn't it? 
just like it was in the wilderness. It's uncomfortable, it's challenging, there are trials and there are difficulties. And we cry out, how long, Lord, is this wilderness going to last? How long is it going to last? And, you know, chapter 12, verse 6 tells us, 1,260 days. Now, it's a symbol, okay? It's not literally that number. It's a period. Daniel 7, we saw this last week, if you were here, it's quoting Daniel 7 and 12, where we read about a time, times, and a time and a half. And if you take the time, which most people think is a year, times is two years, time and a half is uh, uh, half a year, you finish up with three and a half years which is 1,260 days, or 42 months. This is talking about a period, a period in the wilderness. But it's also, it is a limited period, isn't it? That's the point. It has a beginning and it has an end. It It isn't going to go on forever and ever. A time in the wilderness will be limited. This is a period of the woman, the church. This is the historical perspective. And one day it will end at the end of time. So that's the first one, the historical perspective in the first half. Then you get another view on what's going on. And this, this time is the heavenly perspective. Verses 7 to 12. It's the same events, but from the, now what's going on in heaven. Verse 7, there, then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough And they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. You can see the little arrow. Um, Now, Michael appears in the book of Daniel. That's again um, from Daniel. He's a kind of heavenly champion. He's kind of like the Gandalf or the, I don't know, Thor. I don't know what you watch. Uh, He's kind of like a heavenly champion. Um, And there's a huge battle going on in heaven. The forces of good of God and the forces of evil. And it's all picture language. But again, we mustn't be too quick. Let's not dismiss this. This is really important for us to see and understand that there is this battle going on. This world is contested ground. But behind the scenes is this heavenly battle that rages. Who will win? It's an epic adventure that we've seen, that we've been given here. And John is quick to say, of course... Of course, the decisive victory has been won through the Lord Jesus who died on the cross and triumphed over his enemies, who sat down at the right hand of God on high, who was snatched up into heaven, as we saw in verse 5. Satan has been defeated. He is a loser. Okay? How? How? He took the penalty of our sin on the cross. You see, before the cross, before the cross, um, the devil has us right where he wants us. Verse 10 helpfully describes the devil as an accuser. Do you see that? If you look at verse 10, it's really important. He, He describes him as an accuser. What is he accusing you and me of? He stands before God and he accuses us of sin and rebellion against him. Because, you see, the devil knows that God is just. And the devil knows that God has to judge sin by death. But you see what's happened on the cross. 
Jesus on the cross died for your and my sin in my place so the devil can no longer accuse you and me before God. That's good news, isn't it? Yes. The victory is won. He's set us free from the penalty of sin. We're no longer under the curse. The accuser has no no right to say what he says anymore. It's dramatic as the picture in heavenly realm is of Jesus, uh, of, sorry, of the devil being cast out and hurled down. Verse 10, now have come to the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and authority of his Messiah, Jesus, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Boom, I love that bit. It's like the bell rock, isn't it? In the, the depth of, you know if, you know, if you know Lord of the Rings, you know what I mean, isn't it? It's that bit. And it's really important that you know he's defeated. You see, Jesus, you see, without Jesus, the devil would say, you can't have these people because of their sin. And you are, you're just God, so you can't be friends with them. But now Jesus has died on the cross for us. He's taken the penalty. There's no guilt that remains. He's hurled out of heaven. That's the cosmic battle. And that heavily scene then moves um, to the last um, scene, which is the temporary scene, which is kind of... I've, I've done it as a vertical area. I didn't really know. I had about half an hour to do this. I, so I put it as a vertical area, as a, as a fixed point of where we are now, okay? The temporary, Okay? The devil is defeated. He can't touch Christ. And he can't touch the church. Yet he can still cause a lot of trouble. Okay? He can still cause a lot of trouble. Verse 13. If you look at that, what does it say about him? He's furious. He's furious. But this is only temporary. Okay? It is only temporary. Because at the end of time, he'll be crushed and he'll be um, destroyed. Notice how he goes after the woman in verse 13, the church. But notice again how God provides protection and provision. She's given wings. That's the church. That's you and me. We're given wings to fly. There's all sorts of imagery here again to to the exodus, the pursuit by Pharaoh. But they're given wings through the Red Sea, aren't they? Uh, We're we're not immune from that attack either now as the church now, as the people of God. But God provides protection and he he, he provides provision for us. There's going to be ups, there's going to be downs, there's going to be twists and there are going to be turns, but he has our back. You need to know that. It's really important. The devil prowls around, what does the Bible say? Like a, 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 a roaring lion looking for someone to devour he won't give up. And so the temporary situation that we're in is summarized there at the end of the chapter. Let's look at it. Then the dragon enraged at the woman, that's the church, that's you and me, and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. So there you have three, three characters, three scenes. 
the historical, the heavenly, the temporary perspective. Now, how do we apply this? How, how does this help us? Hopefully, we've seen some application already. Maybe you're not a Christian here, and this sounds completely bonkers to you. Maybe you think this is just, you know, this is just, I can't possibly believe this. Well, can I just, if you're in that position here tonight, just, just at least consider the possibility that there's more going on in this world than you can see. That's the start point, I would say. And maybe come and talk to me, come and talk to Rocky or or, or a friend that you came with. What about for the Christian? Well, we need to be aware of the spiritual battle, the cosmic scene, that there's a spiritual enemy. Yes, we have the victory. We have the victory. The devil still sort of lunges desperately um, trying to attack, flailing in their death rows. You know, the, you know when they're in their death rows, they're sort of lunging aimlessly and trying to devour. You can see I wasn't a sword fighter. <laughs> but he is a loser. And verse 12 reminds us that his time is short. Do you notice that? It says his time is short. What should we do? Look at verse 11. I want you to, to leave you with verse 11. I'd really love you to take away verse 11. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their life so much as to shrink from death. There's three responses here. First is, is the blood of Jesus. And that's what we're going to be remembering in a moment. The blood of Jesus. Because what does the blood of Jesus do? It cleanses us. It reminds us that we're forgiven And um, that's really important because the devil's tactic is to accuse you. Remember that. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to accuse you. He says, do you really think God can forgive you for what you were thinking about earlier? He'll say things like, how dare you show up at church after what you did the other day? He'll say things like, what about all those dark sins, those dark secrets? You know, God doesn't want you. And and when that happens, you need the blood of Jesus. It's so important you come back to that. Because it's the blood of Jesus that cleanses. Our need is so desperate of God that we need to be cleansed by Jesus. And so God accepts accepts you and me on the basis of what Jesus has done on the cross. And that's what we'll be remembering shortly. But also, the second response is... This, the word of their testimony. Did you notice that? That funny phrase, the word of their testimony. It mentions that. Um, it's the witness to Jesus found in the word of God. Found in the word of God. And so as I was thinking about that, it reminded me to, that we need to pick up the sword of the spirit. You know in Ephesians 6 with the, with the spiritual armor. We need all the spiritual armor, but we need the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit to defend and to attack when the devil comes and accuses us. We need, therefore, to know the word of God really well. And I know I don't know it well enough. We need to know this really well. So we know that when we're being accused, and said, you're, you know, when the devil accuses you you're not good enough, you could say there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because you know Romans 8.1. There are lots of... Just know those... Verses, know the word of God. And then, thirdly, we need to respond 
They did not love their lives so much. Did you notice that phrase? They loved God first. Um, Jesus is to be our first love. And it appears that in Revelation, some had died for that love. We'll hear about the persecuted church um, in a couple of weeks with um, the brave thing with open doors. But yet, so often, and I know this in my own life, so often we say things like, my whole life is yours, Lord Jesus, except my ambitions. Or we'll say, all my life is you, except my relationship life, my sex life. All my life is yours, except my wealth and possessions. And it's that little word, except, isn't it? Because that word, except, is when, again, the devil comes to accuse and seeks to devour and seeks to, to go for. When that happens again, we have to come back to number one, though. We have to come back to number one. There will be times when we struggle with sin, where sin enters in, when we're tempted, and we're, we're tempted to despair of what we've done. You know, have you had times like that? I know I've had times like that. I'm just tempted to despair. But I've fallen again. There will be times like that. And what happens at that moment is again we have to remember the blood of Jesus. We must, though. We have nowhere else to go. That is our victory. The blood of Jesus, because it cleanses. And that's the ultimately the thing that has the victory for us. So I invite you in a moment, after we've sung, aren't we, you're going to sing again, is to come to the table in that, in that vein. Knowing that you are forgiven. When you turn to Christ, you are forgiven. God, our Father, we, we thank you for this wonderful picture, this epic scene of salvation, of history, of what's going on in heaven. And we pray, Father... We'll keep coming back to to Jesus and his victory on the cross. That when the devil tempts us, when he accuses us, we can keep coming back to you. We keep knowing that you have the victory and that we are forgiven. Amen.